from Car Rigs and Ingram, this is It Figures, the CRI podcast, an accounting, advisory, and industry-focused podcast for business and organization leaders, entrepreneurs, and anyone who is looking to go beyond the status quo. Hello, I want to welcome you to the latest of our Ransomware podcast. I'm John Heath. I'm the Director of Professional Services here at Car Riggs and Ingram. Um, and I would like to introduce you to David Mills and Tyler Mills. David, you mind introducing yourself? Yeah, thanks, John. Uh, I'm David Mills. I'm the Director of IT Audit Insurance for the firm. And uh, just want to welcome you to the podcast, Tyler. Hey, I'm Tyler Mills. I'm a partner with IT Audit Insurance. And uh, yeah, welcome to the podcast. So I think we, what we really want to do, our, our belief is that whoever wins the data race is the winner, the ultimate winner in the future. And one of the most critical things related to data is protecting that asset. It's, it's a valuable one. Uh, probably, we also think data is sort of like the new oil. And so we want to, we want to talk about how people might exploit that asset, uh, take advantage of it. And uh, we've seen a big uptick in ransomware attacks. And so we want to talk about several things there, um, how they occur, what we're seeing, why the frequency is up now. So David and Tyler, maybe you can share with us what, what we're seeing in practice. Sure, no problem. So I think everybody's aware that we've had some fairly significant, uh, and I use that term uh, a little bit lightly, but fairly significant uh, ransomware attacks in the recent uh, recent history here. Um, we've got obviously the pipeline attack that, uh, that everybody's heard about. There's been uh, several more ransomware attacks and uh, it truly is really starting to escalate. Now, I do have, if, if there's a little light at the end of the tunnel, when we, as we get a little down the road here, I'm going to give you some info about some, uh, uh, one of the main ransomware uh, companies and where they stand today. But if you kind of take a look at this, We've got ransomware as of this is a, some 2020 data, pretty late 2020, but takes about 21 days for the average uh, ransom to, to recover from the average ransomware attack. That is a, uh, 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 you know, that's just the downtime due to ransomware. That's not fully recovered. Uh, that is actually just for the downtime. The fully recovered days, it takes 287 days on average to recover fully. And that's, you know, basically get it remediated, uh, put in the, the new defenses and, uh, and be prepared to, uh, uh, to, to hopefully thwart a future attack. Uh, 287 days. 2020, there were over, there was over $350 million paid. In ransomware, that's a 311% increase over 2019. Average payment went up 171% to $312,000. That is the average payment. So, whereas when we first started seeing this way back in the day, when uh, when we had the the uh, the hospital. Uh, out in California, and, and I, I believe the ransomware was was thirty six hundred dollars. Uh, it's come a long way, uh, and it is really uh, really been a big problem for a lot of industries. Um, Tyler, can you kind of speak a little bit, maybe, to some of the in industries that have uh, have been affected by this? Uh, sure. I mean, there's there's not really an industry that's um, 
immune to it uh, as data becomes more valuable and um, sort of makes the world go around and they know they can get more money for it. I, I can say that there's um, some interesting statistics as far as governmental clients or our governmental uh, entities are concerned is um, that's sticking up quite a bit in the last two years. It's gone up to about gone up about 50% the total number of attacks. Um, and at least uh, 40 states experienced a one attack uh, in 2020, um, paying up to at least a half a million dollars. Um, so it's uh, it's it's clear that it's sort of it's it's getting pretty far-reaching, um, especially in the private sector, but it's in the it's in the it's in the public sector as well. Hey, thanks a lot for that. Yeah, it's it's it really has gotten to be quite the annoyance for for a lot of people, and and unfortunately, what we're seeing now is is that they are they're attacking places that uh, have a couple of things in common. One, uh, they may have good cyber insurance, and two, they obviously uh, one of the things they look for is weak defenses. Uh, you know, unfortunately, when you're when you're talking about that combination, a lot of times things like, uh, you know, governmental comes into play. Education comes into play, uh, you know, sometimes health care. Uh, and so it really is across the board to everything. And and when you're hit by this, it is it, it can be completely and utterly devastating. Uh, you know, we've we've heard uh, horror stories from from folks that literally went back to pure paper and pencil. Uh, they, their systems were, were so infected and, uh, and so uh, uh, encrypted that they literally could not even bring up their network and, uh, and did not want to pay the ransom. So they literally start from scratch. So a big problem there when you're talking about, uh, you know, when you're talking about the devastation that this, that this type of attack can, can actually uh, you know, uh, uh, cause a business or an entity. Um, I think that, that, you know, we're obviously seeing some super high dollars, uh, being requested for ransom. Uh, some of these, uh, you know, we've heard numbers like $50 million, $30 million, uh, you know, certainly $1 million is, is really not, uh, really not anything that they, that they even, uh, consider to be a, a problem. They uh, they asked for a million dollars, you know, like it was it was almost nothing. The problem with these is is that they've gotten some really uh, good sophistication in their process. Um, you know, these are not just you know single person shops uh, that are you know maybe working out of their their basement. These are these are oftentimes nation states, um, and and that means that they've got the not only the uh, the technology, uh, the technical sophistication, but they've also got the the uh, the backing uh, monetarily to develop those those processes. And we're seeing some things that I find really interesting. One of them is uh, there in, in, in when they first started, ransomware gangs or even uh, individuals would would really do all of their own work. But now we're seeing. Uh, uh, the the rise of of what's referred to as uh, initial access brokers, and these initial access brokers are effectively uh, trying to get credentials, and then they're selling the credentials to the ransomware uh, gangs. And so you may have, uh, and that we we think, as far as reading goes, we think that that's probably what happened during this pipeline attack. They uh, they purchased a uh, 
uh, um, uh, an account uh, and, and password that uh, had VPN access, and that was the way they were able to leverage uh, their their tools. Uh, these initial access brokers are, um, are are really the ones that are that are trying to, to ferret out admin accounts. They're trying to trick people into giving them um, uh, you know information about their accounts, and and we're still seeing a lot of that being given up. Um, Tyler, you want to comment on those uh, on how how often we're still seeing that uh, that being given up? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Social engineering is uh, always going to be your number one tag vector um, until you can somehow take people out of the equation. That's always going to be where the problem is. Uh, one of my favorite quotes that I've seen recently is, uh, uh, "I've always said cybersecurity is more about people behind the keyboard than it is about the actual technology," and I think that's. I think that's really, really a fair statement. Um, and, and we always, we always stress that people train, uh, train their folks, um, and make, and, and see if they can identify those red flags and people trying to obtain their, um, people trying to obtain their credentials and their information, uh, and make sure that they can, uh, they can recognize when that kind of attack is happening. Yeah. That there's no doubt about that. We, we still see quite often when we run some social engineering tests, uh, you know, even if we're, we're running them, uh, you know, on a regular basis, we still see, you know, people failing those social engineering tests. Uh, it's just really difficult to uh, to try to get those those folks to understand just how critical it is that they they never provide their password or authentication information to uh, to anybody, no matter who they are. The uh, the admin folks, as you know, can can obviously. Uh, if they need to do something and they need your username and password, they've got the capability to actually uh, go in and, and change that and do what they need to do and then let you know. But at no time should anybody, the golden rule of security, should anybody ever give up their username and password, you know, outside of their own uh, mind to anybody. So it's really kind of a problem. But now uh, two factors come a long way, Tyler. How, how, how well do you think that's that's working and, and how effective is that? Um, I think MFA is MFA is really important. Uh, it's uh, it allow and it depends on what kind of MFA you're using, um, because as that kind of technology grows, the ability to spoof that technology also grows. So we're seeing a, um, a big uptick in, uh, you know, industry, industry leading industry practices saying that text messages are sort of sort of on their way to being um, no longer no longer appropriate for multi multi-factor authentication because it's pretty easy to spoof a phone number and, and intercept that kind of stuff um, but but true multi-factor authentication where you can uh, sort of guarantee that um, there is a second piece uh, that you can uh, attribute to a to an individual person you know without a ton of failure uh, that's it's, it's it's really really important that that get done so what you're talking about there for that true two-factor authentication, that's the use of, uh, of the, uh, the tokens. Uh, is that correct? Yeah, token or, um, you know, an authentication app is, is, is kind of where the industry's headed. Uh, tokens are sort of going away. They're still, they still exist, but the hardware token is, it costs money and, and you have to distribute them. But really and truly, that's probably the, the best way to do it. Um, but you're seeing a lot of these apps, people integrating with... Um, Duo is a really good example of, of an app that gets integrated with an MFA system. Um, Google can also do it. Microsoft Authenticator can do it in some cases. Uh, if you're using Azure for authentication, um, 
so so it's it's sort of going that way. It's still on your phone, uh, but it's a it's a it's a more secure way of communicating back and forth with that authentication server than those than the text messages. Yeah. So so I think what we're saying here is is any type of multi-factor authentication is better than than no multi-factor authentication. Better than nothing. Yeah. So yes. so I think that's probably a, a, a key aspect here. Um, and, you know, we see a lot of folks that are implementing that, a lot of folks that are that are looking at tools to implement that. Uh, that's something that I, I personally think ought to be on everybody's radar. If it's not implemented, it ought to be be uh, be something that uh, that there's a plan in place actually to implement. Um, you know, that that's sort of more that's sort of a preventative measure, if you will. Of course, it goes along with the with the scanning and the, uh, you know, the malware detection that we're all used to, to, uh, to dealing with. Um, but let's talk a little bit about, uh, you know, heaven forbid you, you get caught with ransomware and, and kind of some of the things that, uh, that, that you could have in place to, uh, to, to help you recover from that. That's one of the biggest keys. And when we say recover, uh, recover without paying the ransom. So, there's two main areas that uh, that Tyler, I want to I want to flip to you to kind of talk a little bit about. Uh, one of them is this this idea of of off network backups using uh, maybe uh, uh, portable devices or off network SANs, and the other is something that uh, that I've seen lately, which is called immutable backups. Um, and uh, you know, even though you know these are are are, are really still not 100 percent effective. Uh, they are pretty good at giving you a reasonable chance to recover without paying that uh, without paying that ransom. So, um, Tyler, can you tell us a little bit about uh, these uh, these off network backups and the immutable backups? Sure. So, um, just to kind of start with the immutable backup piece, immutable backup really just means that it's read only. Um, that those backups, once they're made, they cannot be written to, can are not written, cannot be written over, cannot be changed. Um, you know, et cetera. That's what the word immutable sort of means in that context. So, and even, even can't be deleted in some cases, correct? Yes. Yeah. So that, so that, that's a really nice thing to have if you can get it. Uh, some cloud providers have started offering it, um, as, as part of their backup, uh, as part of their, uh, backup suites. Um, if you can, if you can get it, that's great. It's, it's kind of hard to do that, um, without that, uh, without that power of, of a, of a cloud-based third-party provider, it's sort of hard to get that put together, but you can, it can be done. Um, and, uh, it seems kind of like a no brainer. Like if your backups can't be written to, then of course, you know, there's no way for you to, uh, there's no way for ransomware to affect the backup. And, but if you think about how much storage that would then take up, how often are you backing up? Um, because you have to create a complete full backup that's that's read only every single time, which is not tenable in most situations. Uh, so cloud cloud based backups are, are really built built for that kind of thing, and 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 giving you you know quote unquote unlimited amount of storage to store that kind of thing. The off network backup is a little bit a, a little bit more attainable, even for you know folks at at home. Um, Simply like David said, it could be just moving portable storage from one place to the other. If you do your backup and then keep it offsite in a bank vault or something, we, we used to see that a lot where people would uh, put a hard drive in a bank vault and rotate that hard drive out every so often, every two weeks or so, just to have that um, completely isolated 
uh, back set of backup data, even if you were, you know, even if you're going to lose anything that you didn't back up until the next one, there was still, you could still at least get to that point, uh, which, which it was, it, it is actually a really big part of analyzing your risk, your uh, risk and business impact as far as how often you should back up is concerned. Another way to get that done is to actually mirror that backup from onsite to a different, to a different location. The issue there might come up that the replication process, you have to be connected some way. So at some point, it's possible that, that ransomware migrates from the production into the backup uh, via that same pipeline. So that's kind of where that immutable backup piece comes in. Um, but again, this all comes down to, you know, how often are you backing up your data? Uh, how much data could you stand to lose uh, if, if, the, if the situation called for it? Um, those are really important pieces to this puzzle. Yeah, so kind of what I'm hearing is, is and, and I agree with you, it's really all about understanding and planning those, those backups um, and, uh, and, and the methods that you're going to use with, with ransomware in mind. Um, I know that recently I've seen uh, that uh, Veeam, which is, uh, you know, one of the, one of the main uh, virtual vendors there uh, with their, uh, I believe it started at 10.0 and above, uh, Veeam actually has the capability to do some immutable backups, uh, along, uh, uh, over to what's, what we refer to, uh, or what's known as an Amazon S3, uh, secure bucket. Uh, and that is a, is a pretty doggone good way to get that immutable backup. Uh, and, and still to this day, storage is, is still pretty cheap compared to the, to the, uh, to the ransom that you could possibly pay, it's, it's almost kind of a no brainer thing to, to look into that. Um, you know, when, when we, when we're saying our off, offline backups and we're talking about that, it's kind of funny because what's, what's old is new again. If you remember, uh, this is the same thing that used to be done with tapes. Uh, unfortunately, you know, tapes weren't very reliable, but, uh, but it did, uh, provide some off network backups, certainly. So, you know, one of the things that we're talking about here is that that the problem is, is you got you would have to go back and restore from uh, something that did not have the original malware on it. So uh, oftentimes that can can lead you back a little farther than you'd really like to go from a data recovery perspective. Also, there's a there's the consider, you know, piggybacking off of that, the consideration is how do you know how far back you have to go? Um, and that's that can you may never know the answer to that question, but it will at least take up resources just kind of figuring out, you know, when did the infection actually occur? If we if we restore from a week ago, is it in that backup and just not and it hasn't been activated at that time? So is it going to happen again? Like that's that's a really um, that can take up a lot of time and a lot of resources just to figure that piece out on its own. So I think that the medium that you want to strike is you want to be backing up something that. Even if it's not technically immutable, something that's off network, segregated, isolated in some way, often enough that it wouldn't impact you enough to have to pay the ransom if that happens. So really, that's that needs to be happening. You know, depending on your risk appetite, it could be every day, it could be you know once a week, it could be once a month, depending on what that is. But those real time hourly backups that that happen uh, that a lot of people are doing, that's those are the ones that are most susceptible to. Um, actually carrying over that malware. Uh, so you want to make sure that you've got a good plan for if we're doing a, if we're doing this backup, you know, this often and rant and malware hits, how far back 
or we go into lose before we get back to the before we get to that back to that isolated backup. Yeah, and you know that's that's a that's always a hard one to to try to figure out. Uh, you know, the business units within these companies really w- would say you know zero data loss. A lot of times that's really not feasible. Um, you know, I've even heard lately of uh, of folks doing recovery. Uh, in an isolated environment to try to uh, make sure or see if they can can clean anything that might have still been left over from that particular backup. So, you know, that's that's another technique uh, that is that is being used. Um, I think that uh, that 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 what we're what really kind of what we're saying here is that, that this is not just something that you need to take lightly. It requires a lot of planning. It requires, uh, you know, quite a bit of. Uh, of, um, of of understanding where your risks are and understanding you know what it what as Tyler said what your risk appetite is a um, couple of things that that did occur uh, you know recently with some of these uh, with some of these uh, uh, larger uh, ransomware breaches is they they kind of put it on the radar for uh, for uh, for the government the FBI Homeland Security and uh, they've even formed a uh, you know they formed a task force uh, to actually try to combat uh, ransomware uh, at the U.S. Uh, you know that the U.S. government has formed. Um, you know there are uh, there's some problems with that in that uh, once you get on that radar and it starts to be uh, an act of terrorism, uh, things get a little bit more complicated for the bad guys. As uh, you know, with their ability to uh, should they get caught, with their ability to uh, to survive it without uh, without doing some uh, some prison time. And so I think, uh, you know, that may have have uh, have at least alerted a little bit of these nation states, uh, you know, with with the uh, with the idea that that uh, the U.S. is pretty serious about this. Now, um, one uh, one gang that I had uh, that I had done some reading uh, on had actually uh, uh, closed down. Um, it was a group that was called. Type for me just one second. While you're looking for that stuff, early uh, in the in the conversation, you mentioned that um, insurance and uh, having a large amount of of cyber insurance that could potentially cover you in the case of ransomware is becoming a reason for people to in, to hit you with it because they know that you've got the insurance. You rather just pay it and get it over with, and not have to worry about anything. Um, and I think that's really interesting that we're we're kind of getting there because, you know, we I do a lot of work in the banking industry in the financial sector uh, as far as um, you know uh, IT assessments are concerned, and the regulatory examinations that are happening are pivoting almost entirely to ransomware. They're sort of looking at everything through the lens of being prepared for ransomware. Now um, they've come up; a couple of states have come up with a specific. Um, uh, risk assessment that they want you to fill out. That's that's about r- ransomware. The incident response planning um, is is to be seen through the lens of ransomware. Backup and recovery obviously is. Um, so it's interesting. And, and and then of course they they ask that you have adequate insurance coverage if something like that does happen. So it's interesting as that as those controls are being put in place that they're actually becoming almost almost in a new incentive. Um, for these attackers, it's 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 kind of a it's kind of a weird thing to think about. Yeah, you're absolutely right, and uh, and it certainly does enter into their into their into the attackers' business model. 
the group that I was going to tell you about here is a group that is called uh, Avadin uh, Ransomware. And uh, not too long ago, they actually shut down their operation and gave back all the keys. Before that, they were known as one of the most ruthless gangs because they would not budge, uh, you know, in their negotiations uh, very much for their uh, for their ransoms. So if you can imagine it, uh, literally, this has gotten to the point where there are negotiators on both sides trying to work out a deal to pay that ransom, um, you know, much like, uh, you know, trying to, you know, like a like a merger contract or something like that. So it has really gotten sophisticated and, and it's it's definitely uh, something that we as, as IT auditors are really concerned about. So much so that we've added specific ransomware controls testing to our uh, our IT audit programs. And so, you know, as we kind of wind this up, we want you to, to think about this. Uh, you know, if you're uh, if you're concerned about your about your ability to do that. Uh, make sure that you've got some some testing done, preferably by an independent third party, uh, for your ransomware recovery capabilities and your protections. Uh, that's one thing that uh, that we think is is just so important in this day and time. Um, and uh, as as always, if you want to uh, uh, talk to Car Rigs and Ingram about that, we'd be, be happy to do so, and uh, I'd be happy for you to get uh, get on the website and fill out a. Uh, uh, an inquiry form, and we're, we'll we'd be happy to talk to you about uh, the services that we offer to uh, to help you with this. So, John, I'll turn it back over to you. Well, David and Tyler, I want to say thank you for the wonderful insights you guys share with us today, and we also want to thank our listeners. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you want to know more, uh, that website that David was just referring to is uh, cricpa.com. Uh, and it has a wealth of knowledge about this and many other services that the firm provides. We look forward to seeing you in the future and serving you as well. If you want more CRI insights or are interested in learning about our firm, please visit our website at CRICPA.com. Thanks for listening to this episode of It Figures, the CRI podcast. You can subscribe to It Figures on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you prefer to listen to your podcasts. If you liked what you heard today, please leave us a review. 